I am here with Dr. Koi Bach. Dr. Bach is one of our upper level residents and we're in procedure hall. But I just thought, let me ask Dr. Bach his point, his viewpoint about shrooms in medicine. First he said, what's a shroom? (laughs) But shrooms in medicine. So first of all, Dr. Bach, how are you? I'm doing well. All right. So do we use mushrooms in medicine? that I've heard of. Okay, we don't use the mushroom itself. What about any kind of extract, like psilocybin? Anything for that recently? Uh, I also have not heard of that. All right, so let's say that uh, one of the uses for psilocybin, which is psychedelic, right? Groovy. It's psychedelic. Uh, has been used for uh, refractory cases of depression. You've heard of that, no? Mm-hmm. Okay, so no. Well, so there you go. So yes, it has. Obviously, it has some issues, but psychedelic therapy, which was on the fringe, has now entered mainstream medicine. That's not the topic of our podcast. But what if I told you that certain mushrooms could possibly help clear one of the most common STDs in the country? What do you think? That is very interesting. I'd love to learn more. Well, there is data. So I'm going to get into that because there's a specific kind of mushroom. And it doesn't mean that you're going to go like to your local Sam's or Walmart. Nothing wrong with those. (laughs) And buy buckets of these because it has to do with the purified extract. But there is data that a specific kind of extract can help clear human papillomavirus. Interesting? Very interesting. All right. We're going to cover that in this episode. Just trying to keep everyone up to date on evidence-based practice because medicine moves real fast. This is Clinical Pearls. Before we get into the data, just a quick disclosure. This episode will discuss new promising data on oral therapy for HPV infection. However, this is not FDA approved yet. Also, as point of disclosure, I have no financial or otherwise proprietary investment in any product being discussed. All right, I'm going to give this a second shot because your counterpart, Dr. Light, uh, somebody in your peers, was unaware that we use some mushroom extracts in medicine. Huh? Is that weird or what? What is that? Seriously? So you've never heard of psilocybin? What is psilocybin? I don't know. Can I have multiple choice, please? Okay, killing me. Killing me. I'm two for two. <laughs> so psilocybin is the extract. Actually, it's a, like the form of LSD stuff it, from certain mushrooms that's used for depression now. Ring a bell? No? Sounds cool, though. Okay. Well, anyway, I try. <laughs> I tried. I'm going back to the episode. Let's get to the data. My goodness, in all the years that we've been dealing with HPV, you would think that we would have made some major victories against this virus. And we have, but we definitely have not achieved the victories that we should have by this time. Human papillomavirus, or HPV, is the most common sexually transmitted infection in the U.S. It affects anywhere between 60 and 80% of sexually active adults. Yes, it's true, not all of these carriers will have an issue, but the viral burden on the population is nonetheless astounding. This episode idea comes from one of our podcast family members who is in Long Island. That's Leah. 
Leah, you had a great podcast topic suggestion, uh, and I also appreciated our communication back and forth. I just really needed that encouragement on a kind of rough day already. So thanks for reaching out. Now, before you say to yourself, wait, wait a minute, why are we covering something that isn't FDA approved when we already have other things against HPV like Gardasil? Yeah, Gardasil is totally fantastic, very Gardasil friendly, and we should be. Gardasil was initially approved by the FDA back in 2006, originally approved just for females between the ages of 9 and 26. Yes, Gardasil is legit. It definitely works. But we're not winning this battle with Gardasil. And I'm going to tell you why in just a minute. After the initial FDA approval in 2006, three years later in 2009, the FDA expanded Gardasil's approval to include boys and men since HPV was also associated with anal, oral, and penile cancers. And now it's recommended up to the age of 45. But there is still vaccine hesitancy despite years of safety data on it. So this is kind of nuts because even though over 90% of the HPV-associated cancers could be prevented with HPV vaccination, vaccine uptake still remains suboptimal. And guys, I'm not trying to be on some soapbox here or anything like that. It's not my opinion. This is opinion from the CDC. And actually, this was also just recently presented at the AACR annual meeting from just this year in 2023. What's the AACR? Well, it's the American Association for Cancer Research. It's actually the globe's largest and oldest professional association related to cancer research. And according to the CDC, who released this data in 2020, 59% of American adolescents between the ages of 13 and 17 had been fully inoculated. Hey, 59%, that's pretty good, but it actually should be much higher. In an attempt to increase compliance with vaccination, research has now turned to the efficacy of a single injection protocol. In April 2022, the New England Journal of Medicine published results of a single-dose HPV trial in Kenya, finding that a single dose of either of the two HPV vaccines provided 97.5% protection against new persistent infections with HPV-16 and HPV-18. And in that same month, after evaluating years of data from research conducted in different parts of the world, the advisory group of the World Health Organization concluded that a single dose of HPV vaccine could be just as effective as two or even three doses in the prevention of cervical cancer. I know that this episode is not dealing with Gardasil. That's not the focus of this podcast because I wanted to talk about another alternative not to vaccinate against the virus, but for those who don't get the vaccine or get the vaccine and somehow still acquire HPV, how to actually eradicate it. Do y'all catch that? Not just suppress it but actually eradicate it. That would be a game changer. Well, that led to Leia's question and her comment regarding some new research concerning AHCC. If you don't know what that is, I'm going to tell you right now. Okay, so AHCC, that is a mushroom extract. AHCC is actually a standardized preparation of the cultured Lentiluna idotes or the shiitake mushroom. 
Yeah, Lentilula idotes. That's the formal name of the shiitake mushroom. AHCC stands for the active hexose correlated compound. So AHCC was actually developed at the School of Pharmaceutical Science at the University of Tokyo back in 1989. And since that time, it's accumulated a pretty robust evidence base. Let me just stop here for a minute because I would never have thought 20 years ago that I'm going to be talking about uh, extracts from mushrooms into mainstream science. I mean, let's be honest. I mean, I'm a very traditionalist, very conservative in medicine. I'm pretty much by the book kind of guy. I follow guidelines uh, and I'm a big proponent of evidence-based medicine. Uh, but the truth is we've come a long way. Uh, I remember when attendees told me that using ginger uh, and the P6 pressure point for nausea, vomiting, and pregnancy, uh, which was hokey pokey. I mean, they're like, we don't have, we don't do that. We have prescriptions, man. I mean, we got Reglan, we got Zofran, we got Fenergan. Uh, we got real medicine for that. I remember being told that. Now, of course, ACOG recognizes that the first line treatment for nausea, vomiting uh, is ginger. And pressure, you know, P6 uh, acupuncture. Can you believe that? I mean, so now things that were considered fringe are now in mainstream medicine. And we started in the intro talking about uh, psilocybin, right? The psychedelic component of some mushrooms. Uh, and what in the world? I mean, this thing actually works. And again, everything that started fringe uh, has now moved into mainstream practice. So if things are still being redefined and, and fine-tuned, let me just be very clear, some things are not ready for mainstream, but they're making huge progress. So I'm going to get into the details here for this issue here with this compound, AHCC, because this is actually part, they're on the track for FDA development. All right, so I'm going to present data that just came out last Last year in 2022, which was part of a phase two study. In previous podcasts, we talked about the different phases, right? Pre, uh, phase one is preclinical. Phase two is efficacy and safety. Phase three is the pivotal trial. We'll get into that in a minute. And then phase four is typically post-market surveillance. Well, this thing's legit. I mean, preclinical trials have already been done. It, sh- it showed that it worked in animal models. And now it's on an RCT phase two. Once this is complete and it's already been published, uh, now this is making the room for phase three. So if you guys think, well, this will never work, we're not going to do this, uh, you can actually find this online already. Uh, you just got to make sure that you're ordering the right thing uh, and in purified form. And again, I'm not promoting anything. I don't have any stock interest in this. The company didn't ask to do this. This came from one of our Facebook listeners. Um, but it, it is legit. Now, when is it going to be FDA approved? When is it going to meet phase three? I, I don't know. But the data here is very impressive. And I'm going to show you what the data has shown. And this has been presented not just in scientific meetings, but it's gone through peer review and again, published through multiple avenues. So I'm just setting the stage here that if you're thinking, I can't believe Chapa, you're doing this, man. I mean, talking about mushroom extract. And my answer is, yeah, absolutely. Because <laughs> there's a lot of things that we thought were hokey. I mean, imiquimod, when that first was being targeted uh, in the phase two and phase three studies, like immune modulation and like green tea extract. And what, what are we talking about here? Now we know that this thing is real. I mean, it, it works. There are natural properties uh, that are medicinal. So no, I haven't gone nuts. I'm not out in the fringe of medicine. Uh, this has been very well published, and, I'm, and I've got a big, a special spot uh, of affinity for this because some of our sister uh, uh, 
agencies, one of our sister uh, academic centers uh, is UT Health. Yes, I'm at Texas A&M. Uh, UT Health is, is the competitor. Hey, man, we're all one family, right? We're all trying to do our best to, to make groundbreaking new discoveries to impact humanity. Let's call it what it is. And just down the road from College Station in UT Houston, uh, some of those researchers are doing this with this compound, AHCC. So it's not on the fringe. It definitely has now entered mainstream medicine. And boy, am I rambling or what? Sorry, guys. It's been a long day and I'm, I'm short on caffeine. Let's get back to the message. AHCC is made by cultivating the mycelia of the shiitake mushroom and extracting active ingredients like alpha and beta-glucans, amino acids, and minerals. Recent data has shown that AHCC has some, well, pretty interesting benefits to the body. Most of these benefits have to do with its effect on the immune system. And we're going to talk about that because that's our main focus on this episode. But this compound has also been studied due to its stress modulation effect on the body. And it's also got promise in fighting some malignancies. I'll be very clear. I am not promoting avoidance of chemotherapy or traditional mainstream medicine for cancer. But what's been shown at least in vitro with this compound against malignant cells, I'm going to tell you here in a minute, Uh, It's pretty remarkable. The data behind this is really interesting and it's impressive. This has even been studied with promising results as an adjuvant treatment that's effective in stress management and it may be even useful in the treatment of refractory depression as an adjuvant, right? I'm not talking about first-line primary treatment, but as an adjuvant, it actually has published data that it may be effective. How in the world is this thing even supposed to work, right? I mean, it's an extract, it's polysaccharides and amino acids. So what is it? What is the function here with the immune system? Well, the effect of this extract has been studied extensively, and it does have a key ingredient that helps kick up the function of the immune system. This mainly stems from the bioactive polysaccharides, specifically the beta-glucans and the polysaccharide complexes that actually seem to stimulate natural killer and T-cells, and this has been shown in both animal and human models. Altogether, this compound has had favorable data published in over a hundred different publications. AHCC has been shown to cause the promotion of T-cells, predominantly mediated by interferon and interleukin-17. Although there's a lot of different biochemical processes here where AHCC can come into play. This was first published back in 2012 by Lee et al. in the journal Cellular Immunology. Also, an increase in the number of circulating immune-related dendritic cells has been found in healthy adults after receiving 3 grams per day of AHCC after taking that for a month at a time. In other words, four weeks of duration. This was published in Nutrition and Cancer even back in 2008. And there is evidence that this compound in immunocompetent recipients boosts the immune response to a variety of different antigens. Oh my goodness, I can just hear some of you because I can hear some of my buddies already giving me grief from this and going, where's the data? Show me some studies. Man, I'm going to get there. Hold on a minute. Don't rush the bit. (laughs) 
<laughs> All right, so listen to this study. A randomized controlled trial. So yes, it was level one. This was performed with 30 healthy adults to evaluate the effects of AHCC supplementation on the immune response to the 2009-2010 seasonal influenza vaccine. So let me just stop right there. Look, it's 30. I get it. It's not 200. But we're not looking for efficacy here. We're looking at body's response, immune response, right? And what these researchers did is actually pretty neat. Let me get into that. Blood was drawn pre-vaccination and then three weeks after vaccination. And immediately after the vaccination was given, the AHCC group began supplementation with three grams per day of the supplement. So if you haven't figured it out by now, three grams per day is kind of the big deal with these studies and this compound. Flow cytometric analysis of lymphocyte subpopulations revealed that those that had the supplementation had increased number of natural killer T cells and even CD8 T-cells. Analysis of antibody production three weeks post-vaccination revealed that AHCC supplementation significantly improved the protective antibody titers compared with those that were in the control. Overall, the study documented that AHCC supplementation could improve lymphocyte percentage against influenza B and even the antibody titers compared to control. This was published in 2013 in Nutrition Research with the first author being Roman. Here's the take-home message for this. Yes, it does seem that this supplement actually can boost antibody titers and cell-mediated immunity against pathogens. So we're working our way to get into HPV, right? But I'm just trying to give you the basic science of how this thing seems to work to recruit immune cells to fight disease. I mean, that whole premise of you are what you eat, I mean, it really is a thing. A lot of this is tied to nutrition and, and, and these supplements that we thought were hokey initially seem to be evidence-based and seem to have the basic science to, to show its efficacy. Now, again, that's all on a bench work, and I, and I get that, and I'm a, I was a natural skeptic as well, but now let me show you the data of how HPV fits into this discussion. As we get into the main focus of this episode, which is how this compound can affect HPV and potentially help with its clearance, I want to be very clear because I don't want to take any heat for this, all right? Look, I am not saying that this is going to replace Gardasil, and I'm not saying that we don't need pap smears by any way. Those have to be done. However, on our patients who do get so frustrated and always ask us, hey, is there anything I can do to relieve this, to, to get rid of this? And the traditional answer was, well, not really. I mean, maybe there's a miquinod, but that burns, you know, Aldera, uh, it's expensive and it's, it's kind of irritating. And then if you have sex with it, or it you know, kind of get hurts the vagina, burns the vagina. So th there's all of these things that have been tried. Green tea extract is another thing uh, because of the cachectins, but they haven't really had the data like this has. So I'm going to give you the numbers here uh, and what the clearance rates look like, even though we definitely are not done with this study, right? Phase three needs to be done and that's in process now. But what's been done up to to this day is pretty remarkable. This whole concept of how AHCC can potentially be a combat agent against HPV 
is nothing that's new or novel. It's been around for close to a decade. In 2014, from our neighbors down in College Station, down in Houston, from UT Health, Dr. Smith presented data at the Society of Gynecological Oncology at their 45th annual meeting when this was in Tampa, Florida. At that meeting, they showed data that treating cervical cancer cells with this compound, AHCC, actually led to the eradication of HPV, as well as a decrease in the rate of tumor growth. Now, that was in vitro, but they also had some some preliminary in vivo studies. In this study, cervical cancer cells were treated with AHCC and then incubated for 72 hours with sampling every 24 hours. The study was then repeated in two mouse models, one HPV positive and then the other HPV negative that served as a control. The HPV expression was eradicated with once daily ACC dosing for 90 days. All right, So once a day for three months for 90 days and it had a durable response after a 30-day observation period. Now, it was only 30 days after, but the whole point is it was eradicated. (laughs) Dr. Smith then repeated the study to confirm findings and added sampling for correlative testing of immune markers to determine the mechanism by which this compound seemed to eradicate the virus. And the researchers concluded the same thing that had already been discussed, that by recruiting these natural T cells uh, and these natural killer cells, it seems to have an immune boosting response against HPV. All right, podcast family, you know I'm not going to leave you with 2014 data. I mean, it's good, but that was preclinical and it was small. And that was really more of an interesting side note. Because in 2019, two pilot studies evaluated the same compound in women who had persistent high-risk HPV and found that those that had the interferon levels below a certain cutoff, that was 20 picograms per ml, the cutoff number doesn't matter, it's just that this compound seems to affect those interferon beta levels and that's correlated with the elimination of the high-risk HPV virus. So the short of it is, it's not some magical thing, it recruits the appropriate cells, it decreases one of the fuel molecules that HPV uses for persistence uh, And that's how it tries to eradicate. That's how it eradicates the virus. This was published in Frontiers in Oncology in 2019. The most recent RCT looking at the immune response was actually just last year in 2022. And again, part of that research team came from down the road, that same group of researchers from UT McGovern Medical School at UT Health in Houston. This was also published in Frontiers in Oncology. This study from 2022 was the Phase two study. Now, remember we talked about before that this is now on the road to FDA approval, but it still needs the final, the pivotal test, which is uh, the the pivotal trial, uh, which is the phase three study. So phase one is preclinical. Phase two is efficacy and safety. Then it moves on typically to a multi-site study. That's phase three. And then it goes for potential approval. Now, here's the catch. This is all to get the stamp from the FDA. Although you can actually get the supplement over the counter now. It will just be nice to say it's FDA cleared or FDA approved, which is interesting because it's not a medication, right? It's a nutraceutical. This is a natural compound. So it's a, it's a slightly different process, but all to say is going through the same scientific rigor uh, as a regular uh, medical intervention, as a regular therapeutic. 
In this randomized double-blind placebo-controlled trial, it included 50 women over 30 years of age that had confirmed persistent high-risk HPV for greater than two years. So your first question is, man, why is it 50? That's it? It's an end of 50? Well, the answer is because that's what the study was powered to detect. So let me explain that. So in order to get to this number, they looked for the ability of the body to have natural clearance. And then they said, hey, if this thing is going to be successful, we have to shoot for a 50% eradication over baseline. All right. So assuming that natural immunity has, let's say, a 10% rate of clearance after two years, uh, and let's shoot for a target success rate of this medication for 50%, and that's six months after the end of the supplementation, uh, and 12 months after the end of all medication first initiation, then we need the number to be 50 All right, so that's 25 per group, and that would have 95% power to achieve the detection effect that they're looking for. So, all right, all the statistics talk, all to say is that 50, it doesn't sound like a lot, but that is what was power to find a at least 50% eradication of the virus. Remember, this is in women who had this already for greater than two years. Patients were randomized to placebo once daily for 12 months, remember that's an N of 25, or the 3 grams of the AHCC supplementation by mouth once daily on an empty stomach for 6 months. And then they were followed by 6 months of placebo. Every three months, patients were evaluated with HPV DNA and HPV RNA testing, as well as a blood sample collected to evaluate for a panel of immune markers. In other words, they wanted to see what's going on behind the veil. So they look for interferon beta, interferon gamma, uh, T lymphocytes, and natural killer cells to try to figure out if there was a correlation there. At the completion of the 12-month study, patients on the placebo arm were given the option to continue on the study to receive the AHCC supplementation unblinded for six months with the same follow-up appointments and testing as the intervention arm. So what happened? Well, 50 women, again, with a high-risk HPV infection were enrolled, and 41 completed the study. Well, did it work? Did they clear the 50% target range that they were looking for? I'm going to tell you that next. of those in the AHCC supplementation arm were HPV RNA or HPV DNA negative after six months, with 64% achieving a durable response defined as being HPV negative six months off supplementation. So remember 63% being negative, okay? On the placebo arm, 10% were HPV negative at 12 months. And in the 12-month placebo arm patients who then elected to continue in the unblinded study, 50% of those who took the supplement after all were HPV negative after six months of supplementation. So yeah, it's pretty impressive. Now, I know some of you are looking at that like, man, it's 63%. It's not 90%. Uh, was better than nothing. It's better than continuing the virus. Remember, these patients already had it for two years. So elimination of 63% is pretty remarkable. 
These researchers concluded, quote, results from this phase two study demonstrate that AHCC three grams once daily was effective to support the host immune system in eliminating persistent HPV infections and was well tolerated with no significant adverse side effects reported. This was the first double-blind placebo-controlled clinical study to demonstrate that the nutritional supplement AHCC is effective in eliminating persistent, high-risk HPV infections with durable response, end quote. Yes, that sounds great. It's reassuring. But we're not at the end of the road yet. We still have questions that remain. One of the main questions is, well, what is the ideal length of time to take it? I mean, is it six months after you clear it? Is it a year? Is it indefinite? We don't know that yet. The duration of AACC supplementation required beyond the first negative result is unknown. That still requires more evaluation. Also, traditionally, the three grams a day dose has been used since 2014. We don't know if any other dosages or, or if less uh, grams per day is still as effective as the three grams. We don't know that. So while there's still questions that remain and the phase three study is not even done, right now having this data, it at least offers some hope to patients who have persistent HPV infection that it is something to consider telling them, of course, that it is not FDA approved, it's a nutritional supplement. But the whole question is, are there any harms to this? And it doesn't seem to be. Are there potential benefits? The answer based on RCT evidence is yes. So once again, take that for what it's worth. I hope more data comes down the path and there is studies in development, including, as I said, just down the street uh, at UT Houston. But this is very promising for patients with persistent HPV infection. All right, Leah, that brings us to a wrap. Thank you so much for reaching out. I really enjoyed our Facebook communication today. LIJ, what a great place. I think I was there like a decade ago, but great memories. My goodness, I always enjoyed my time up in the Northeast, especially in the LIJ system. Thanks for reaching out. Podcast family, I hope you found this insightful and helpful. This is not a medication. It's a supplement, uh, but it is going through the same developmental pathway as a true uh, pharmaceutical uh, uh, intervention. So again, there's still more work to be done, but this is available right now. You can Amazon this thing as long as it's pure extract uh, and has no other ingredients in there that are not necessary. At least the phase two data seem to show some encouraging results. As always, we're thankful for you. We're glad you're part of our podcast community. And we'll see you in another episode of Clinical Pearls. Mm-hmm.